Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about assisting TV literary agents with Matt Telenius from CA. Hi, Matt. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. So first question, what's your kind of background? How did you arrive at the job you're at now? I went to film school and college at DePaul University. And at that moment, I realized just by taking courses that I really did not want to be the creative type. I was not fit for it. I didn't really care about being a director, producer, a writer, anything like that. But I've read about the best way to start out if you don't really know what you want to do is to work at a talent agency. So I interned at a small boutique agency in Chicago and really learned so much about the business end of actors and theater and the talent business and all that kind of great stuff. And so that sort of led me to moving out to LA and ended up interning at CAA in the TV department and which ultimately led to a job inside the CAA mailroom. Did that for a year, kind of moved up, really expressed my interest in working in the television space. And eventually I started working as an assistant a couple years ago. Were you already sort of really into the TV world at that point? Were you watching shows and... I was watching shows, I was reading scripts, I was reading books, you know, networking, JHRTS. So I definitely was invested in that specific area. So you talked about how if you don't really know what you want to do, or if you want to get better knowledge about the industry, you need to be in a, a literary agency. And also people often say that you need to have sort of a one-year experience within an agency to break through and get those assistant positions elsewhere, potentially. Do you feel that is true for you? I think the great thing about an agency, it's kind of like your graduate school. So we represent the talent, whether it's an actors, writers, producers, directors, whatever scope of the entertainment business you're in, we represent the talent. So pretty much everything revolves around the agency. We are working in all the moving parts for trying to sell the TV show or getting a client a job. It's very fast paced, it's very high volume, which is why I think a lot of companies require that agency experience because if you can do the work of being an assistant to an agent and not just you know, handling stuff for your boss, but also your boss's clients, their whole roster, you have the skill set that those transferable skills that you can then use to wherever you want to do next. So you're probably like meeting a lot of people through that as well with the sheer number of people you're interacting with in different facets of the industry, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're working with the production companies, the studios, the networks, the managers, the lawyers, pretty much every part when it comes to selling a show. You're not really dealing so much with production, like the actual like production set or post-production or any of those facets of the industry. But in terms of the business end of things and deal making, contracts and logistics and problem solving and putting the pieces together. I mean, that's really what an agent does. And yes. so you're really learning about the behind the scenes. So to delve into that a little more, how does the role of the agent differ from a manager or a lawyer? Well, an agent has definitely relationships where the salespeople. So our job is to really, you know, a client will say, hey, I got this really cool idea I want to develop during development season. And, you know, let's try to attach a production company together and try to sell it uh, during pitch season, which just happened 
few weeks ago. And of course, we represent a number of production companies. So we can sort of help put the pieces together, put that package together to really make it an enticing package to hopefully sell it. Could you define packaging for our audience? I mean, it's really attaching different elements, whether it's an actor, director, producer, you know, production company to the project. So a writer will come up with an idea. And then the first step is to try to target a list of production companies. And then the production company will obviously have relationships with different studios. You know, they'll have their input and feedback and then they'll work with us. And then of course they'll work with the writer to really develop that pitch and make sure it's in the best shape possible. Yeah. And that packaging is such a big part of what the agencies are doing a lot of the time because legally they can't produce on a project like the agent can't be a producer there. Right. So that's kind of the agency's function is to put all the pieces together like a producer would and then take a packaging fee for that. Exactly. It's just like all we're trying to do is put it in the best shape possible and try to sell it. Could you talk us through the different flavors of agents? Obviously, you work with TV lit agents, but there's, you know, MP and all those different kinds of agents. I mean, CAA, we have different departments. So we do have an MP department, TV department, TV talent and TV lit, MP talent, MP lit. There's a sports department, a music department. There's a foundation. So, you know, it's kind of like if a music client an artist wants to now get into television, there's the resources available to make that happen. The music department and the television department are completely different. The job of what an agent does is completely different. In TV, It's you're probably a little bit more hands-on than a music booking agent. So there are differences between, you know, depending on which department you're in, what the actual role of an agent plays. I mean, really, we're all trying to do the best we can for our clients. How do you feel the the role of a TV late agent contrasts with those other kinds of agents? So, for example, in music, the manager plays more of the day-to-day and a booking agent is really more for booking their tour, booking gigs, that kind of stuff. So they play less of a day-to-day in the client's lives. They're more involved with the venues and the promoters and communicating with the manager versus with a TV lit agent, you're probably more involved with the client's lives and you're talking to them on a day-to-day basis, you know, working with the manager, that kind of stuff. Take us through the the day-to-day of a literary agent, like a typical Monday, Tuesday, what are they doing? Solving problems, (laughs) (laughs) putting out fires. That's pretty much it. It's going through the emails. It, It really all depends on what time of year it is, where clients are in their careers, what they're doing. When a client is staffed on a show, they're not calling you because they don't need anything. And then when you don't have a job, they're constantly calling you trying to figure out, is there something else that I can do? What about this idea? What jobs are available out there? That kind of stuff. So it really all depends. But I guess as an agent, you have to be on top of everything. You have to know exactly what your clients are doing at every given moment, know what shows are being picked up, what the networks are buying, what their mandates are, what their needs are. It's all information. So it's just being on top of all of that in order to help your clients out. Well, speaking of, how do you feel agents approach their jobs when a TV writer is on staff versus not on staff? Well, when they're on staff, they're working. So our job is done. So you're not in contact with the writer? Not as much because they have a full-time job. Unless they're developing something simultaneously, but... Or they're not getting paid. (laughs) Or they're not getting paid. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But... Is what? that 10% of the job just getting paid? <laughs> right. <laughs> but when there's when it's more like development in terms of you sell an idea to the network and then they're writing their script, like those conversations, you know, we're more involved with. 
But when they're actually working Monday through Friday, they're, I wouldn't say less of a priority, but they're doing their thing. So we're focusing on other clients who are those conversations project specific let's say a client does have a project potential in development obviously the the classic distinction between a manager and agent is that manager is more big picture than an agent but how true is that for you do you feel in your side we're always looking at the bigger picture so if sometimes a writer will be high in demand because they just finished off working on stranger things or something like that or they got a big sale at comedy central so they'll be a little bit more higher in demand and then at that point it's our job to figure out people will come to us like with projects with them in mind with that particular writer producer in mind and then it's up to us to sort of like filter which project do we think is best for that client is that going to help them with their growth as an artist so we're definitely thinking about those things when deciding what projects they should be working on how do these conversations go usually well you're always in contact with the client i mean in the end it's up to the client it's his or her career so like that client makes the final decision we're there obviously to give advice a lot of times a client will have multiple agents involved so there's teams and some clients are writers but then they're also actors as well so there's different inputs different opinions about these things and then of course you know sometimes a manager will be involved so everyone has their own input which is good that's a good thing but in the end it's up to the client to decide you know what he or she wants to do you mentioned earlier depends on like what time of year it is can you just give us like a rough breakdown of what are the the kind of seasons of the year for tv writers so in terms of broadcast which is ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, and CW, they have seasons of the year in terms of developing shows, selling, pilot season, staffing season, and then the production to eventually you come to the fall and the show airs on TV. So it starts in the summer, which is kind of like mid-June through mid-August. That's development season. So that's when a client is sort of trying to figure out, okay, what should I be working on next? What ideas do I have? Can I start developing? And then they present us with those ideas and then we'll try to target a list of production companies and try to attach a production company with it and try to get in the best shape as possible and then of course there's selling season pitch season which is in the fall about mm, start it starts a little bit later so it's like around it's about all of september through like the first or second week of october and that's when you're pitching your show to the networks it all depends on the project itself but sometimes you'll have the writer attached you might have a production company attached sometimes if the production company has a deal with the studio the studio is going to be attached as well so you have all these you know uh, different people on board and you're pitching to all the broadcast networks and of course you might pitch to a few cable networks as well because cable is year round there's no specific season for them and then at that time the networks will decide i want to buy these 30 ideas there's no script written yet you're just pitching your idea and then they write the script and then by christmas time the networks have to read all the scripts and then decide what actually goes into production once they decide that then casting directors are involved production crew is involved they produce the pilot around march or april they do something called staffing our job with staffing is basically trying to attach our writer and director clients even before the networks announce what's actually going to go into a series like preemptively being like hey consider these people right, yeah. right exactly it's kind of the ultimate game of uh, musical chairs yeah 
you're just constantly sending out material, pitching clients for staffing jobs. And then usually by upfronts, they announce what's actually going to be in a series. What happens when you staff someone on a show that doesn't get picked up? Are they then out of work or are you trying to staff them kind of last minute on some other show? Sometimes it's last minute on other shows. And this is just broadcast. So it all, you know, there's cable, there's cable stuff as well. And the streaming services like Netflix and right. stuff. But then summer is a good time to decide like, hey, what's going to be my next thing? Brings us back to development season. Mm-hmm. Does every TV client split their time between sort of the development phase and the staffing phase? Or do you really try to make them focus on one or the other? Depends on the client. There are some clients who will never do staffing. They're just more focused on their bigger picture, their ideas. They're just more high profile. So there's more focus on their own stuff versus having a Monday through Friday job. And then there's other clients who like the staffing. They like being employed. They like have that weekly paycheck. So it all depends on the client. Do you feel that's mostly a question of experience or is it just taste? I mean, it could be a little bit of both. It depends. There's clients who are upper level, clients who are lower level. So when it comes to writer's rooms, there's obviously like factors of diversity that go involved. So sometimes that trumps over experience. You want a, like a diverse room. So of course you have like your showrunner, your executive producers, but then you also need your staff writers who are definitely lower level. So experience helps, but I think also good samples help as well. In terms of when it comes to pitch, like if your sample is not as polished, it's not going to help you in the end get the... The thing is like the agent can only do so much. We can, you know, introduce clients to producers, get the relationships going, pitch them for all these different shows. But in the end, you have to have a great sample, I think. Still your career. It's still that writer's career. Um, It's not our career. Um, (laughs) And sometimes with the staffing, it's also a matter of money, right? They might only have enough money to hire a staff writer, or they might be only looking for a producer level. Exactly. The budget, there's there's definitely going to be a limited budget, Mm -hmm. and they may only have room for like one more writer. And there's a thousand writers in the marketplace, at least. It's tough, I think. Is it all based on relationship? Like who gets the job ultimately? Relationships, I think, are a big part. I think the recommendations help as well. So like if we had one writer get hired to write this pilot and that writer was ultimately hired because of her experience working on another show and that producer ended up putting a great word for her. Mm -hmm. So I think relationships are very helpful. Particularly with other writers, right? If they've worked together on other shows before, they tend to stick together as they go on to their next thing. Exactly. Like sometimes showrunners or executive producers kind of already know who they want to hire based on their previous relationships. So they may not have a large amount of staffing needs as opposed to maybe some other projects. So it, it really all depends on the show itself. In general, who has the kind of power in those hiring decisions between the showrunner, the studio, the network? Things like that. I mean, obviously, the showrunner makes a good number of decisions of who they want to meet and that kind of stuff. But the studio network also have the final say as well. They have to approve everyone that comes on staff. Could you walk us through sort of the timeline of staffing season? And especially when you come in and decide which client fits which show? So for broadcast, staffing season comes maybe around March or April. We have covering agents. So there are agents who are assigned to a network or studio, and it's their job to be in contact with those networks and studios in terms of figuring out what their needs are in terms of staffing. So they're constantly in contact with the executives over there. A lot of times those covering agents will ask other agents in our department, like, hey, this project is looking for two upper level writers and two lower level writers. Who do you have? And then the agents will start pitching their clients. 
and we'll send over writing samples and credits to the studios, and then they decide who they want to meet, and then like those conversations, the meetings happen, and then once they decide who they also want to bring on board, then it's a matter of making the deal, making sure the money is right, and then that's a whole nother <laughs> conversation. That's a, that's a whole nother ball game there. <laughs> so when it comes to making that deal, how does the process tend to go with negotiation? Lawyers get involved. How does that work? And and just talk us through that a little bit. So a client will have quotes from a previous deal. So maybe a year ago they developed something with Universal, or they had a staffing job with Netflix. So we look at those numbers and we give those numbers to the business affairs executives. And sometimes if there's the client has an attorney, the attorney might take the lead on those conversations. It really just all depends. But if if the client does not have an attorney, usually the agent will then take the lead on those conversations. And then it's just, you know, trying to find the best deal possible. Obviously, we want to try to get more money than what they made from their last job. But then, of course, the studio only has so much money up front. So it's trying to find that balance. If it is a development thing, you know, not just what they get paid for writing the script, but then what they're going to get paid should the thing go into production, should a pilot be produced, and then what they're going to get paid if a series order is offered. So like all those numbers are made up front. Crazy thing is that like what 90, 95% of the stuff does not move forward to pilot anyways, but you still have to negotiate all of that stuff up front. Stepping back a little bit, do you feel there are any major differences between how a comedy agent and a drama agent operate in television? Not really. A lot of agents do both. Some specialize in comedies, others specialize more in drama, but the process is more or less the same. I mean, the only other thing, I mean, you're just reading 30-page scripts versus 60-page scripts. Is that half the work? <laughs> so, maybe like half the work. <laughs> I know which one I'd rather do. Um, but comedy, I mean, comedy is hard versus drama. And some clients, you know, will do both. Some clients are great at comedy, so they're only going to do comedy stuff. That's just where their experience is. They have no experience in drama. And then others are, are only going to do drama. They have no experience in comedy. How hard is it for one to transition into the other? For for writers or for agents? For writers. So let's say a drama writer wants to try his luck in half hours. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> How do you sell that to the agent or even the networks or the people at those I mean, I think you have, to, you have to have a great sample. So you have to have a really great comedy sample. So it does start with the writer, I think, being able to write good comedy. Because if you can't already show that you can write great comedy, it's going to be hard for an agent to sell you. Do you think it's better for writers early in their career to kind of like really focus down on one thing? Or is it fine to have a number of samples across different genres and different... I mean, I don't think there's any like golden rules, like you can only choose one or the other. I think it's a mix. There are some writers who can do both, are great at both, and there's others who are just really focused on one or the other. So how do agents actually find their clients? Is it referrals, competitions, fellowships, queries? And do they tend to take on developmental clients or only really working writers? Well, with CAA... It's really all referrals. So there's no like, hey, I'm going to submit my script to you and can you look at it? Like, we don't really have a submissions team that reviews anything. It's really a producer calling us and saying, you should look at this person's work. He or she was great in the writer's room. She's looking for a new agent. Can you take a look? So that's like one conversation. Or one of our clients is an executive producer on a show. And same thing, like, hey, uh, had great experience working with this person. She's looking for a new manager. Can you take a look? Inquiries come to us, and it's all through the relationships that we have. So whether it's from an existing client, producer, a manager, 
it's all through referrals. Do you feel there's an order of importance in those kinds of referrals between a client's referral versus an assistant's referral versus another agent's referral and so on? I don't know if there's an order of importance. I mean, obviously, if one of your clients is referring someone, you have to read it because they're your clients, so you have to service that client. If one of your colleagues is referring someone, again, like take their word on it that, hey, this is actually... Sometimes, you know, an agent will get an inquiry and, you know, made like that writer. And then because we work all in teams, that agent will try to find two or three other agents. It depends, maybe one or two other agents. And he or she is going to share that sample with those other agents and see like, is this someone who we can sign? So getting the opinions from other agents as well. Does every writer at every level have a team? Most of them do. I think some of the older ones might just have one agent. I know my boss has clients and she's the only one on the team. But I think definitely when it comes to signing people now, bringing a new business, usually a team is involved. What is the benefit of having a team behind you? Different relationships. You know, agents have different relationships, bringing in more opportunities. So it's going to be hard for one agent to do all the work. But if you have two agents or three agents on the team securing meetings for this writer, that's just more opportunities for that writer. Especially since, you know, an agent's day is limited because he or she has to also think about their other clients as well. So if you have other people on your team working for that client, there's just more opportunities. How much material does a writer need to have ready to be considered by a TV-lit agent? Usually one sample is good, two samples is fine as well. There's no like definitive rule. I think it's just, it has to be a really great sample. Meeting that person in the room can also make a difference. Like, are they great personality? Are they diverse? There's so many different variables involved when it comes to signing a client. It obviously starts with a great sample in terms of, are we going to meet this person? But whether it's, you know, one or three samples, I don't think that makes much difference. Even for lower level writers? Yeah. I mean, sometimes clients will have other things on their slate. So they might just have one they might just have a feature sample too and trying to get into TV. They might be actors as well. So maybe they've done like productions, have some indie films under their belts, some other kinds of credits. So it really all depends. So you really look at sort of the whole package. You really look at the whole package. I mean, there's we have one client who started off as a playwright and then started working in TV. It really just all depends. So you guys are considering things like short films, stand up, Twitter jokes, like anything like that or, you know? Yeah. It's like, what is the brand here? Can we sell this person? Can this person bring in business? Can we work with this person? There's so many different variables involved. I think, you know, obviously they have to be a great writer. That's important, but they also have to be a great personality, someone you can work with. What else are they doing? Obviously this is on a case by case basis, but do you feel there's anything that unrep writers should do to find representation? It's all relationship business. So networking, JHRTS, Script Collective, there's so many different ways to get yourself out there and meet people. You have to be persistent. You have to constantly be in contact with people. You can't just, you know, sit at home and do nothing. Obviously, you should be working on your craft. So writing every day, but also, you know, read stuff, know what's happening in the news, read the pilots that are getting picked up taste everything, figure out what you like, what you don't like, what your taste is. I think that's all very important. And then hopefully, you know, when you meet a number of people and you build those relationships, it's not going to happen in one or two months. It could happen in one and two years. That assistant who you met at the holiday party two years ago is now the coordinator. And if you were staying in contact with that person, they'll read your sample and you can see where it goes from there. 
A lot of writers think that once they land an agent, they've made it and they can just kind of sit back and they're going to have a career. What, what are your thoughts on that? What's the reality? The reality is that never happens. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a misconception, but a lot of people think like once they have an agent, like, oh, this agent's going to get me a job, but it's still your career. Like all an agent can do is help set you up with people, get you meetings, give you advice all that kind of stuff, but it's still your career. You still have to sell yourself in the room. They'll get you the meeting. They'll help try to attach a director to whatever your idea you have. They'll help you brainstorm ideas for actors, directors, producers, whatever, but you still have to be the front end on your project, you know, on your career. What do you feel sells writer in the room in those meetings? I think I just having great personality. Are you cool to hang out with? Do you know your stuff? Do you know what you want to do? what TV you like. Be a cool person, I think. Mm -hmm. Be a cool person. I think that's the motto of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so after those kind of meetings, agents will call and follow up and see of how course. it went. Yeah, yeah. What kind of feedback do you get from those people? I mean, usually it's good. Producer might say like, oh, we have some things in development. So we'll think about where we could slot this person. Producers are always thinking about people who they meet. It's our job, obviously, to make sure we follow up with that. Sometimes the meeting goes really well and they want to work with that writer, so which is really cool. How do you relay that information to the writer? Are you trying to be as direct as possible, even if a meeting doesn't go according to plan? 100%. You have to be honest. We make sure like when we're giving the feedback that it's constructive feedback, not like you suck. <laughs> um, this is what he or she is thinking, you know, but like we'll always ask for their take. Oh, so how did the meeting go? It went awesome. Well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> we get both sides. So after an agent signs a writer, what's the kind of process there? What happens next? And what is that ongoing working relationship like between the writer and the agent? Usually you'll set a meeting, kind of like a strategy meeting to see, okay, where are the next steps? Sometimes they'll have a script that they want to try to sell, or we talked about staffing. So maybe some clients are more interested in staffing opportunities. So it really does depend on client on a case-by-case -case basis. If they have an idea that they want to try to put together, again, we'll try to target a list of companies that they could try to work with and get those meetings set up. It really depends on clients. I mean, the reality is like, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's a business. So a lot of stuff takes a while. A lot of stuff doesn't sell. Most stuff doesn't sell. It's really hard to find a job, a staffing job. So there are those realities that I think writers have to be aware of. And a lot of times you might sell your project and get $100,000 to write that script, but you're not going to get the $100,000 up front. It's going to come over the span of could be over a year. You have to also be uh, financially responsible and aware of you never know where your next job is going to come. Don't buy a boat. So yeah, don't don't <laughs> blow don't blow all your money up for don't take expensive vacations. But be aware. It's it's challenging. Do you feel there are specific opportunities for maybe greener new clients? Do you trend towards more staffing opportunities for those people? If you sign a, a new client that's essentially green and doesn't know what he or she is doing. I think for the people who really need money a little bit more, staffing is obviously the way to go. Again, it all depends on the client. If their project doesn't sell, we can't sell it to broadcast or cable networks, then we'll try to find a staffing opportunity for them. Our job is to try to get them some income. And then those conversations start. In terms of communication between the client and the agent, how much is too much and how much is too little? Text every day. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, yeah, you do have 
those clients who <laughs> will constantly email and then call you every day. Call you, did oh you get boy. my email? Right, right exactly. <laughs> that that, that actually does call? happen oh for some people um, when you don't respond within 30 minutes. Hey, did, did you get my email? It's like when they're not working, that's when they call the most. When they're working and they're occupied, that you don't hear from them, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> does it ever reach a point where someone has to say to them, calm down, so we have like 200 clients just like chill or is in general, how does that kind of go? <laughs> yes, but in a nicer way. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some clients who can get a little bit, not intrusive, but just it's too much. On that thought, why would an agent fire a client? What kind of mistakes do writers make to strain that relationship? They are not being proactive with their career. Maybe they haven't done anything. They're not really bringing in business for us. They are missing their deadlines. They're not being responsible, that kind of stuff. It's a touchy subject because nobody wants to fire their clients. So there's definitely conversations involved before letting that happen. Could be a variety of things. And sort of similar to that, why do writers sometimes leave their agents? What reasons do they give for that? I guess when agents can't find them work or when they can't get their things sold. So then now it's the agent's fault. <laughs> you know, it's always the agent's fault. I'm sure. You're always, yeah. It's always your representative's fault. That's one reason. Speaking of being a proactive, how often do you feel writers should churn out new material to keep their agent happy? I think it's always good to have fresh samples. It's hard, especially if you're on staff. You know, if you're on staff for like The Big Bang Theory, I mean, those are like long running shows. So that eats up all your time. And then you realize, oh, hey, the last sample I have is from 2007, <laughs> you know, just because you've constantly been working for six, seven years. And then all of a sudden that show comes to an end and now you got to find the next thing. So you might, everybody loves Raymond spec isn't going to cut it. Right. <laughs> <What>? No, exactly. <laughs> we definitely have clients where I was looking at like their, their last sample is literally from like 2008, 2009. Wow. It, and I get it. Like it's hard to actually write a really good sample, a really good pilot. While you're constantly working. While too. you're constantly working. And for those who are now on staff, do you feel like one pilot is essentially enough for your or? We always target. So we're not going to like just put them up for everything. It's got to be in line with what their experience is. So if they really like historical dramas or sci-fi or stuff like if their samples are more in line with those different genres and tones and styles, we're going to submit them for those kinds of projects. Like you wouldn't submit a horror sci-fi drama piece for a family comedy show. It doesn't fit. It's not the right sample. So you're also picking and choosing which an agent will pick and choose in terms of where they're going to pitch their clients to. Do you switch those samples year over year? Let's say a client wrote a cool sci-fi spec and he or she is trying to get staffed on a sci-fi show. That doesn't work out. So then the following year, are you essentially asking them to write a new pilot? No, I mean, they might have another thing that they can send us, another sample that may not be in line with the exact genre, but it'll still showcase them as a great writer. You know, it'll still show their writing chops. But you're not going to try to send the same sample back to back. If I'm trying to get staffed on Timeless, then the next season, I try to get back on Timeless. I'm not going to be sending out the same sample. I'm you not. could. You could? 
Yeah, because it could be just, it could just be like they didn't have the budget, or there's so many other reasons why you didn't get staff other than they didn't like your sample. Could have been a relationship with the showrunner, and that's why he chose that other person. So you definitely could. Like we usually send out the same samples for many projects just because that's their most recent work, or it just lines up perfectly with what the showrunner or executive producer is looking for. So just going a bigger picture again, how do you agents actually get all of this information as to what's going on around town and these opportunities for their clients? and who's making what like how does that information flow to them staff meetings internal staff meetings a lot of covering agents will talk to the studios and networks to find out what their needs are. So we have all that information in terms of, you know, Netflix is looking for more family comedies or more animation or Fox is not looking to buy any more family shows because they've already bought too many. So like we have like we get that information just by talking to the people around town. It's like phone calls and lunches. A lot of phone calls, a lot of staff meetings, a lot of yeah lunches. Could you talk a little bit about how the different agencies operate and their differences from one another? I mean, our company is pretty global. So not only do we have an LA office, but we have an office in Beijing and London, New York, Nashville to cover different areas of the entertainment versus like a boutique agency in LA that's probably just going to be the only office. And then, you know, some agencies only specialize with commercial work, actors, theatrical work for actors, and then others might just be for dancers, or others might be for editors or cinematographers. So it, it you know, it really all depends on the agency. But in terms of the big four, CAA, WME, UTA, ICM, I mean, it's kind of similar. You definitely have like your MP department, your TV department, your music department. Some agencies might have a bigger department for a particular area. So Paradigm might have a bigger music department than ICM. They've acquired other music agencies. Right. Um, so that's why they have that. Like UTA comedy touring or something. Right, yeah. exactly. What do you feel of the differences in terms of the relationships with the clients between those big four or five agencies and the more boutique ones? Yeah, sometimes you hear this thing where people are like, oh, when you start out, you don't want to be repped by one of the big agencies because you'll get lost compared to their bigger clients as opposed to a boutique. Do you think that that's true? Or? You definitely have to keep those things in mind when choosing an agent. When a writer is taking a meeting with an agent, it should be the agency pitching what can we do for you? Why are you the best choice for us? Especially if it's competitive, especially if that writer producer are taking meetings with multiple agencies. I mean, in the end, if the writer has a manager, the manager could offer feedback and input as well. If there's an attorney involved, they can also have their opinion on you know which agency they should steer towards. There's all those kinds of elements and conversations involved. On the literary side, aside from writers, sometimes agencies also represent producers or entire production companies. How does that kind of work? Yeah, so usually a big name like Brad Pitt or George Clooney, they'll have their own production company. And that production company will have the film department and the TV department. It all depends. So we'll represent that production company and we'll be in contact. And a lot of times those production companies will have deals with studios. So they might have a deal with CBS studios or HBO, or they might be in a deal with ABC Studios. So we're servicing that company. I mean, they're doing development, so they're going to come to us with their needs. Like, hey, we've acquired this new book that we want to turn into a series. Who do you have that could be right for this? So then it's really about going from project to project and then seeing who you have on your roster that could fit that project. Yeah. And then, of course, if we have a writer who is looking to get a production company attached to their project, we'll go to those production companies that we represent first, of course, because they're, they're clients of the agency and it just, you know, makes a better package and try to pair them up. 
So those are like some of the ways that we service those companies is just introducing them to our client list. And they, if they've been around for a while, they know our client list pretty well. So a lot of times they can create their own list and just come to us and say like, hey, we have this project and we're thinking about these 10 names. Are they available or not available to get involved? How is that beneficial compared to say a company being a, a rogue operative and just going out to all of the agencies at once? Do they get kind of more preferential treatment or? Well, production companies, I mean, they're obviously going to go to to other agencies, even though they might be represented by CAA or WME, I mean, they're going to do what's best for their project. So if we don't have what they're looking for, they should go to other agencies. All right, moving back to you, Matt, what is kind of your goal in the entertainment industry? Do you want to be an agent yourself? I'm trying to get into more of the music space. So I do want to be a music booking agent, uh, specifically for electronic dance music. And that's through being exposed to different music opportunities, crossover. Over the past couple of years, I just realized that I love TV, but in terms of working in the business and what I really am passionate about and where I see myself, not just now, but where I want to be working in, in you know, five, 10 years, it's definitely the, the music space. What appeals to you about the music side of the industry, particularly working as an agent in that space? It's still representation. So you're helping develop artists, booking them, you're working with venues and promoters and helping them build their tour schedule. But I think there's a lot of business development opportunities as well, especially working at an agency like CAA, you can be involved with so many different teams and groups, you know, A&R, international, the international space, the underground scene in Los Angeles or in Berlin. I mean, there's so many different avenues out there. And I think as an agent, it's very scalable. So you're able to move around and bring in new business and try to like craft out niches versus, and I don't want to like say you couldn't do it at a production company or studio, but because we represent the talent and the artists, I mean, the sky's the limit. We're just trying to find new ways to bring them new opportunities. So I think that's really cool. And you get sweet hookups for tickets to all the good shows. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Coachella. <laughs> Before we go, do you have any resources for our listeners who are aspiring TV writers potentially, be it books, movies, apps, websites, anything of interest that you feel our listeners would be interested in? The Powerhouse CAA book. The book came out last year, I believe. It's it's a really long book. It's like 700 pages, but it's a really great resource in terms of understanding the history behind entertainment business, the business that we work in, the agency business. And it's just also cool how sort of you learn how movies like Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, how they actually got made, like the conversations that were involved that you don't really think about, and how the agencies really did have an impact in terms of the creation of those movies. It's a really great resource. It doesn't dive into the craft of writing at all, but in terms of understanding the business side of things, how things operated back then in comparison to where they are now, I think it's really important to understand that part of the business. All right, thanks everyone for tuning in and listening. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 63. And if you want to leave us a review, please do. You can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. All of those will help us attract new listeners and build our paper team community. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Are you on Twitter, Matt? I am not. I am making a website, teleniusmedia.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in my name and it should be the first result. Uh, you are the people may stalk you now and just randomly show up on Facebook. That's-
that's okay. <laughs> that's <right>. okay, Karen. <laughs> if you have any feedback, thoughts, opinions, etc., for us, you can email us at ask at paperteam.co. Now, what are we doing next week, Alex? Well, next week we're going to be celebrating Halloween. Spoopy. Spoopy? <laughs> what was that about? Uh, I guess we'll see you next week if we live to tell the tale. <laughs> see you then. <laughs>